Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save forty percent on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power twenty twenty three award information, visit jdpower dot com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber dot com. Banks are under fire for not dealing with customer complaints properly. But is there anything you can do about it? Property recovery funds have failed to get investors excited. So how should you invest in the property market? And we take a look at what the three main political parties have to say about tax and how it might affect your bills. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Alice Ross, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And our special studio guest, Claire Barrett, associate editor at the Investors Chronicle. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, high street banks were under fire from the Financial Services Authority for failing to deal with customer complaints properly. Standards at some of the UK's main banks, though none have been named, were deemed unacceptable. The FSA said nearly one in four complaints were poorly investigated, with one in five wrongly dismissed by the banks. Only one bank was deemed to have good practices for customer complaints. So, Steve, you deal with the banks quite a lot. Does this come as any great surprise? Um, not really. No, I mean most financial services companies are pretty dreadful at complaints handling. So, no, it shouldn't surprise. I mean, one of the issues I think that is slightly unsettling is that it appears some bank staff or some staff at some banks are being incentivised to avoid giving redress. How did that work? Yeah, there was a, there was mention of that that they were being paid bonuses not to not to handle complaints. Well, I think more commonly the staff aren't empowered to pay out compensation, but often it won't reflect well on an individual. Of course, if they uh, are constantly receiving complaints and are forced to hand out money, I doubt I doubt that goes down very well with their particular team manager or with their institution. So there is a sort of balance to be struck here. But yes, this sort of practice of potentially incentivising people not to put things right does seem a little bit of a waste of everyone's time. Mm. And what kind of things are people actually complaining to the banks about? Do we know what the main kind of problems tend to be? Well, Alice, you tell me what the problems are with your bank. My bank's very good, actually. Right. <laughs> well,、uh, then I think you possibly live on a completely different planet to the rest of us <laughs> because most people have problems with their banks. That's the nature of the beast. They're a necessary evil.、Um, 
transactions don't work out right, numbers don't add up, things that are supposed to be sent aren't sent, um, stupid call centres, unempowered staff. Um, you clearly, your your private bank clearly gives you a, um, it's not a, a private bank an exemplary <laughs> service. Um, what should the banks be doing about all this? Why are they not taking action? Are they going to take action now? Well, because we all need banks. And so why should they take action? Do they, are people likely to switch banks because one particular bank does a good job? No, there's no real evidence of that. I mean, the, the bank that everyone always cites that offers a good service is First Direct. Um, it's still not a huge bank by any standards, given that it's owned by HSBC and is heavily advertised and so on. So I think most banks would take a fairly sort of pragmatic and cynical view that if everyone's rubbish at complaints, why should they be any better? And don't forget a lot of this about cost cutting. If you've got a, if you've got a call centre in the nether regions of Britain, where obviously there are cost savings to be made, um, and you don't empower your poorly paid staff, um, then you are going to have problems. But do you care because do people really switch banks? No, they don't. Mm. So if we can't expect any action from the banks, presumably people can do more about this themselves. I mean, I think one thing that was said was that not enough banks are informing customers that they can actually go to the financial ombudsman service if the bank isn't dealing with their complaint properly. Um, yes, there, there is some evidence that they aren't always telling people about the financial ombudsman service, although equally there's no reason why sort of any active consumer wouldn't or couldn't find out about the financial ombudsman service for themselves. So they shouldn't really need to be informed directly necessarily. You know, anyone, who, anyone who's listening to this programme is likely to know of the existence of the financial ombudsman service. It's a free service. The complaints, the administration of complaints, the arbitration is paid for by the provider. So in making a complaint, you are costing the provider something, but costing yourself nothing. But can you be bothered to make the complaint, fill in the forms, etc.? That's a different question. But the, the real answer, of course, is people just need to be assertive when it helps um, and not think that they can just uh, browbeat some poor, disempowered call centre person who isn't in, who doesn't have the power to pay compensation into coughing up. You just need to find the right person. It's As with most things in life, it's just about getting the balance right. Mm. Okay, thanks for that, Steve. And for more on customer complaints and how to ensure you do get dealt with properly, look out for Josephine Combo's article in this weekend's FT Money with the Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, what the political parties have to say about tax. First, though, property funds. This week, a special report in FT Money's sister title, The Investor's Chronicle, reveals that property recovery funds, which try to buy properties at bargain prices, have hardly attracted any interest from investors. A number of the funds were launched last year, but so far they have raised just 2% of their collective target. A fund from Standard Life was axed just this week. But mainstream property funds have seen a lot more interest from private investors, with money piling back into open-ended unit trusts from the big fund management companies. So, Claire, is it a good thing or a bad thing that the property recovery funds have flopped like this? Well, it depends which way you look at it. Obviously, it's good for the property market that 
prices have rallied. If you look at the figures from Nationwide this week, residential prices have gone up on average 10.5% in the last year. So the residential market recovers, great. And in the commercial market, there's been an improvement in property values of 13% since August. Now, that's good for the market, but it's unseated the hopes of recovery funds who thought that they could buy bargain property um, and uh, promise investors very unrealistic uh, looking returns um, in the light of day today of 15% a year because the recovery has already happened. Mm. So the basic fundamental uh, problem that these guys face is that they're looking to get the money in and then buy the property. So people faced with a big investment now are thinking, well, when is this cash actually going to be deployed in the marketplace and is it too late? Is there even some fear that um, these the fund managers might actually feel under some pressure to buy property with this cash that they have and therefore might be pushed into buying something that was a little bit overpriced or something? Yeah, and this is also a concern um, with the bricks and mortar um, funds which private investors can put in very small uh, sums into. The property recovery has happened very quickly. There are lots of people who are putting money into into funds um, of, of, of all types and expecting to, to see a, a good return. And the managers are sitting on cash, especially at the open-ended funds, and thinking, crikey, we've got to buy something. There's not a lot of stuff on the market. What there is is pretty overpriced, but they need to deploy the capital, otherwise they'll have a zero return on their cash. I mean, what what did they do last year when, you know, when there was hardly any property around? What was the strategy then? Well, last year there was property around, but there were slightly fewer people buying mm. um, at the beginning. I mean, those managers who managed to buy property um, because the inflows were, were sufficient have, have generally done very well, and the assets that they've bought have captured that curve um, of appreciation that's happened uh, since August. But now they're left with the catch-22 situation. If they sell the property to realise those returns, they'll then have to deploy the cash in, into a market where there are not an awful lot of good value assets. What people had hoped would save the situation were the UK banks. Banks. People um, speak about HBOS and, and RBS as being effectively Britain's two largest property companies because of all of the property assets that are underwater loans that they effectively control. Now, people have been expecting for two years now for the banks to you know, wholesale dump property onto the market cheaply, but that hasn't happened. Mm. So for a lot of these um, property funds, the wait will have to go on. And in the meantime, they are holding quite a bit of money in cash. Uh, what does that mean for returns then on these property funds? So, so we're not talking about the recovery funds here. We're talking about just the mainstream open-ended unit trusts. Yeah. What does that mean for a return on your property investment if your fund manager is sitting in cash? Well, ultimately, um, not not very good. Um, I mean, the funds that have done very well, by the way, I should say the Investors Chronicle is going to do a report on the um, bricks and mortar funds in next Friday's um, issue. Um, so I have been interviewing fund managers all of this week. The ones that are doing very well are the ones that specialise in property equity because obviously they can get in and out um, and have very, very low cash allocations of um, 4 to 5% because that's all they need to meet the liquidity requirements. Other funds that I've spoken to, um, it's not as bad as it was. Um, I mean, some of them had cash levels of up to 40% a few months ago. Now they've been able to, to buy some assets in the market. The funds coming in have slowed down. So the cash levels generally are around 15 to 20%. So not as bad, but still a worry. Um, the other um, interesting factor 
that's happening is that there are fewer buyers for investment property um, in the market now because prices have gone up to such a degree. I was speaking to some investment agents in central London last night who informed me that whereas six months ago you had as many as 40 or 50 bidders for a prime central London property, nowadays that number is um, five or six. Okay, so if the property recovery funds are pretty much dead in the water and uh, some fund managers in property funds are sitting on cash, if you actually want to get exposure to the property market right now, what do you think is the best thing that you should be doing? Well, we think that the listed sector is um, well worth looking at 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 the moment. The recovery vehicles that we're able to launch um, in the listed sector and raise the money and spend the money um, are particularly interesting. Um, On the AIM uh, market, the alternative investment market, the Investors Chronicle quite likes London and Stamford, which was um, one of our tips of the year last year. They've um, uh, There are a couple of property veterans behind that company who've lived out more than three or four property cycles. Um, you know, they're, they're, they know the market. They've made some shrewd acquisitions and may even try and, and take over um, lowly valued property companies in, in the future. Who knows? We think they're very interesting. Max Property, another recovery um, themed vehicle from the property tycoon Nick Leslaw, has done some very good big deals um, uh, at the bottom of the market. We also like some of the listed um, REITs at the moment, notably Seagrow, an industrial specialist, which managed to take over an entire company um, at the bottom of the market. So these guys who've got big financial firepower and have actually done deals have now got a track record to um, impress investors with over the over the coming years. So there are opportunities out there in the property markets. Thanks for that, Claire. And for full details of what investors are doing about the property market, read Claire's article in the FT Money section this weekend and on our website ft.com forward slash money. Finally today, how do the three main political party manifestos compare when it comes to your taxes? With the election only a week away, we've taken a look at how the parties differ on tax. Labour and the Lib Dems, for example, differ on income tax, while Labour and the Tories differ on national insurance. And investors are waiting with bated breath to find out what will happen with capital gains tax, with many people predicting a rise in the 18% rate, whichever political party gets in next week. So, Steve, will our tax bills look wildly different depending on who gets elected next week? Uh, Not really, no, Alice. I mean, the Lib Dems are not about to be elected, um, so let's leave that one aside. Um, And the real point is that everyone's tax bills are going up, care of, announcements that have already been made and or that are due to come in. So has anything new been said in the manifestos? Um, There are a few sort of small things. The Liberal Democratic proposal is a £10,000 personal allowance, which oddly would actually benefit the wealthy as well as the less wealthy. Um, But in practice, as we said, the Liberal Democrats aren't going to be the next government. So I think that's fairly unlikely to happen. It would be an extremely expensive proposal Mm. as well. The Conservatives are said to be in favour of marriage or at least of women staying at home in practice. That's what this uh, transferable allowance amounts to. But it's only worth as much as £150. So £150 to get married, well, I would have to marry an awful lot of women to make it worthwhile for (laughs) me then. And with regards to the national insurance, despite the talk of this being a tax on jobs, whether or not it is, there's a big economic debate about that of course Um, what the Conservatives are doing in practice is they are actually allowing the increase to come in, they're fiddling around with the thresholds so they'll limit the impact up to about £45,000 so middle income people won't pay any more 
national insurance compared with what they were expecting to have to pay under the Labour proposals mm. due to come in next April. Which will rise it by 1%. One percentage point, yep. yes. So from 11 to 12 on the standard rate, from mm. 1 to 2 on the higher rates. But anyone who's already earning more than 45 grand is still going to face the Labour increase anyway. Mm. Um, so there's no real difference. Um, and what a lot of tax experts are saying then is that what's really important in the great scheme of things on income tax and national insurance, which are the two big personal taxes, you know, you made reference CGT, CGT is piddling um, by comparison. Um, what's really important is what's already been announced and what may be announced in a, an emergency budget, mm. um, we may see uh, bigger increases. But what we might also just get more of is the things that people don't really notice, the stealth taxes on this side. And one of the key changes that is sometimes difficult to grasp is that personal allowances and income tax thresholds haven't been changed this tax year. That means more people are moving into the 40% band who weren't in the 40% band before and more of people's income who are already paying 40% is being taxed at that higher rate rather than the lower rates. And that will stay the same no matter who gets elected next week? Well, they, I think they would find it very difficult to change it for this tax year because we're already the tax year has already started. Mm. Um, we don't have specific proposals beyond this tax year, uh, not, not, certainly not clear ones, although a Labour government has said it would freeze the point at which the higher rate threshold kicks in, uh, the 40% tax kicks in for 2012-13. So many tax experts think we'll actually just get a freezing in the mm. meantime. And of course, the justification will be that inflation is low. Um, and therefore, why should personal allowances increase? The other thing people, um, uh, experts are predicting will be messed around with. There's been a lot of talk about not raising income tax rates. No one likes income tax rates rising, of mm. course. Um, so what they'll simply do is is take it all in national insurance. You know, you know, the proportion of the overall personal tax take for many people um, has gone up significantly um, in terms of the, the, the amount that's paid in, in pounds in national insurance. Many people pay thousands upon thousands of pounds in national insurance every year and haven't got a clue how it's taken from them. Mm. And of course, national insurance is, bears on anyone in work. Um, pensioners bizarrely don't pay national insurance, um, even though they're getting great big fat pensions from the state for national insurance that didn't properly fund that. Um, and nor do buy-to-let investors either. So um, it's all hardworking people who pay the national insurance. So those two burdens, if you like, those two stealth burdens are likely to increase as well under whoever gets in, mm. um, even even with a a rainbow coalition of Liberal Democrats and Greens and God knows what else. Well, if you want to find out more about what the parties have said about tax, look out for Steve's article in FT Money this weekend. That's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve and our special guest, Claire Barrett at The Investor's Chronicle. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.